Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. What one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, Mr. Walker. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? There was a little bit of uncertainty immediately after yesterday's Manchester derby just about who was going to get the match ball given the two players that scored hat-tricks for the same team in the same game. Erling Haaland was confidently striding around with it tucked under his arm before Hilkay Gundogan hilariously punched it out of there and delivered it to Phil Foden. We all know Haaland was going to rip it back out of Foden's arms as soon as they got back to the dressing room. Arms and all. (laughs) Before some genius worked out that actually there's loads of match balls knocking around. Why don't we just give you one each? Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello, How are you? If there had only been the one match ball, though, it got me thinking. The only fair way to decide it would have been which hat-trick was more impressive. Would you be going? Would you be giving it to Haaland or Foden? Two very, very fine hat tricks. Uh, let me think. Foden's first goal was the finish from the foot across. Lovely sweeping yeah. finish. Yeah. He was involved in the move beforehand as well. The second one I loved because absolute lung busting run to get up there. And yeah. actually, Malassia, I thought Malassia was the one who got hauled off at half time. Yeah. I actually thought he'd been booked after a couple of yeah, minutes. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and but in that case, I actually thought he tracked the run pretty well for ninety nine point nine percent of it. And then you know, there's only so much he could have done. Uh, Foden scores that, and then the last one was that the one that. Haaland played him up. through yeah, the yeah. diagonal five-man United line. But then you got your Haaland hat-trick, which was also pretty good. <laughs> I, For me, Owen, I'm going with Erling Haaland. I'm going with the goal, Caught Yeti. up with the hype. Yeah. Uh, it was... I mean, come on. Like, come on. Like, this is just... Well, do you want to narrow it down again? What was the best goal out of Haaland's three? The second one, probably. De, De Bruyne across. Yeah. Um, that was the. That, I think that was well. the moment where everyone was like, "Okay, so there's literally no way to stop this team. This is this is it now. There's mm. they hand them over the league title now. This is just yeah. This could get ugly. Well, you never know. I mean, in does, a very pretty way. Does he cost them mm. a bit of stability? Yeah, I know. Like that's it's a big question. <laughs> yeah, let's let's yeah. keep clinging to those. Uh, <laughs> those little well, we are obviously running out of superlatives. Mm-hmm. Um, Guardiola, I, I see, has pretty much been. Well, he, he now is just expressing his appreciation through the medium of dance. 
like the bears of the technical area. I don't know. I mean, he put on some show. Were you watching him? Like, <laughs> during the, I thought, wow, I haven't really seen. It could be the roomier pants that he now yeah, wears. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. He's wearing roomier, lower crotch <laughs> pants. The combats actually didn't last that long at all. I mean, I know that. Oh, I think. Did these not have tactical I didn't pockets? Think so. I, I think there's a lot of tactical. Was there? Yeah. I think actually, I, all I noticed was the roomier, were the roomier, just. Just, he's just giving himself a way he's, more he's getting a little bit he's getting down. a little bit older he's we all, we all ultimately get roomier pants no, as we get older Dud tried to us in with Pep Guardiola he's got like 8% body fatter did he bust his pants I mean I <laughs> <laughs> sorry that that should definitely be a hot key well, but anyway, I, just I, the way that you do, I, I, declared I mean, that I, I, it's happened to a few managers I mean I, I can remember it happening to Mourinho when he when he did that celebration was that actually, actually a game against City was it a Madrid home win when he was a Madrid manager? It may have been Man City. Um, and he jumped out on the pitch and did a kind of a knee slide. But his, his you know, he didn't, obviously he doesn't probably do that many knee slides. Yeah. And his execution wasn't great. And he, and he bust the gusset of his pants. Zidane obviously did it yeah. a couple of times. Yeah. Just walking around on the, on the touchline, I think. You know, yeah. He's a big man. Well, yeah, but to be fair, he didn't leave himself any room. Uh, you know, I think there. it has happened to Guardiola as well. Mm. But that it seems like we've moved away from, from the days of very tight chinos yeah. to a more... Well, I mean, Guardiola is... is you know, he, he brings a very liberatory vibe now to... The, he just wears what he, what he likes mm. now. You know, was it Luis Enrique who... who who kind of led this? You know, he's like, like oh, you know, I'm not going to make any effort at all, <laughs> or it's just art, artful, uh, you know, lack of effort. Let's mm. say um, the sort of lack of effort that you spend 45 minutes on. But he did. Guardiola was just absolutely. Um, well, no, let's just. He tried. Like, like, like he tried. He tried to win the Champions League without the best player in the world, and he failed. So now he's just going to go back to doing what he does best, which is winning the Champions League with the best player in the world. So listen. I, if I was Pep Guardiola, I'd be feeling like I'd be demob happy as well. I tried football management. It went well. It went bad. Who cares? At the end of the day, I could just go out and get the best player in the world. And that's also fine. Yeah. That also goes in my win column. So, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. just throw his hands up. Let's be happy. Everyone just relax. Hey, let's stick with the fashion here for a second because I have some good news for you, Murph. Go on. I've seen some of your second captain's wardrobe recently. <laughs> Let's say you're in need of a crisp new T-shirt there. <laughs> oh, here. I actually am wearing one uh, now. And oh, it's are you? Horribly faded. That's one of the old black ones. It's an old black World look, Service. Yeah. With look, a bit of red World Service. It's seen better days. Yeah, come I on. I mean, I've been wearing it. I've, this is probably my 800th wear. What better way to re-up your wardrobe than by getting your hands on a classic? Last week, we asked our listeners if we should restock the old Euro 88 captain T-shirt. Mm. Green second captain's T-shirt with the captain's armband. A beautiful piece of work. I gotta say, we had nearly two thousand votes cast. Believe it or not, with ninety-one percent of people saying yes for me, nine percent of respondents—that's nearly two hundred people—took time out of their day to tell us no, we don't want this jersey, <laughs> not for me. Well, screw you guys. Mm. We're going with the overwhelming majority. And that, gonna... This could have been uh, Jamie Heesop. Should I start a podcast? But <laughs> thankfully, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, yeah. We're going to reissue the most popular T-shirt we've ever had. Our World Service members will get first word on that during the week. Also, this week on the World Service, it gives me great pleasure to announce in honour of the late great Coolio second captain's 90s hip hop week you want to talk about a playmaker Owen McDevitt Owen McDevitt from Ireland's second captain show the second captain's podcast all five into becoming Russian the second captain's podcast is finger licking good special special oh shit now, I'm going to tell you this too. Oh, 
have been hurting because I have been having to tell the truth about second captain show in Ireland. It's something finger licking good special. That's what I'm talking about. And they do look great because we got that finger licking ass Just one more finger licking. Oh no, another one. I did another one. I did another. Ah, uh, it's happening. All will be revealed on your second captain's your second second captain's Monday podcast later on today. But all you really need to know is that we're ready to hear your '90s hip hop suggestions on Twitter at Second Captains or email editor at secondcaptains.com with the subject title '90s hip hop. Shout out to Mark Horgan who's working very hard on a new series with the BBC. <laughs> but as soon as he heard the passion in my voice for this new musically themed week mm. of programming, he simply had to get involved and has spent an inordinate amount of time or an inordinate amount of time. We're somewhere in the region of 72 hours, holed up in a bunker, <laughs> coming up with that audio. But I feel Claire Byrne, I thought Claire Byrne, the, the addition of Claire Byrne there, right in the middle of that, was just top class. I can't help but feel top Michael tier. Irvin came into Mark's life at just the right time as well. Finger-licking good special! <laughs> For more finger-licking good analysis of the week's Champions mine, League, mine, 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 <laughs> including Liverpool Rangers tomorrow night. I have been hurting! Oh no. Oh, I see you're back in studio. Simon's firing these things mm. in left, right and centre. Mm. Love it, Simon. You're going to need to be signed up to the World Service to hear all our Champions League during the week. Secondcaptains.com. Five euro a month. Plus fat. Ken, please, report on sport. So, Guardiola obviously wouldn't be Guardiola if he didn't point out there were still some areas of potential improvement. Uh, after the game... Yeah, obviously there's there's plenty of praise, but you know, it wasn't as it was it was nine out of ten. It was nine nine point two, nine point three mm. out of ten. There's still, you know, point seven, point eight percent, point eight of out, out of ten, seven or eight percent. Yep. Of improvement. <laughs> that can be done here. Uh shall we shall we hear what, what Guardiola thinks can be improved by by Please. his uh, superhero? He's in, he's involved in the game. He said one thing, I prefer to touch five times the ball and score five goals. I don't like it that. I want to be involved. He can touch more and more and more. So he became a football player to score the goals, but to touch that feeling that only the football players can feel to be in contact with the ball. I like that he's part as well for that, that situation. Uh, don't forget that his biggest talent is put the ball in the net, and that is a fantastic, fantastic strike. Yes. Um... I don't know that Haaland really mean that comment. I saw when he said that. It's he, a joke. It's a joke. Yeah, he's been asked, and again, it's in the context he's of, ha- Haaland, you score a lot of goals, but you know, you don't really actually touch the ball that much. Yeah. It's almost like a criticism. That in yeah, his yeah, head, yeah, yeah, So he's yeah. like, well, like, five touches, five goals, that'd yeah, be great. That'd be, that'd be good. I'd, ha- I'd, yeah. I'd be happy with that. And that's kind of almost what he's doing. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Like, what? This is crazy. You know, it's just, it's... Don't forget the other touches for the assists. <laughs> yeah. Five touches, three goals, two assists. Yeah. That's also good. That was fair. that was all right. Yeah, but you know it is. Um, it's it's pretty incredible. He did that interview with Gary Neville. I mentioned he, he said he could improve physically in in a number of areas. That's the, that's where mm. he saw the possible improvement. Just more. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I want more of this. <laughs> uh, although he did admit that, that you know he's not. Um, he does even even Erling Haaland has moments of doubt. I'm often nervous. Yeah, um, you don't just, look it. <laughs> not, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you're normally nervous maybe before the game but when you come into it for me my whole life I've been kind of using football as a kind of getaway you know when I had maybe a bad day at school or if I was uh, 
my father were mad at me. I went to the pitch and then I forgot everything, you know, uh, a bit like this. And uh, this is something I still have, but yeah, I'm nervous as I think everybody else in this world. Uh, you don't have to hide that. I'm nervous. I'm sometimes anxious or whatever, but that's, I think that's a part of life. And I think it's about still being focused while you're nervous, you know, to try to still do the right things, even when you're a bit uncomfortable. I think he comes across really well there. I thought, you know, we've talked about Haaland's post-match persona. Yeah. But when he sat down, maybe with a somebody he has a certain amount of respect for, I don't know, or it's just... <laughs> it's just <laughs> the, don't get carried uh, away. That. <laughs> yeah. How many goals would I have scored with Gary Neville playing? Mm. Yeah. Uh, playing in the defence for Manchester United is probably what he was thinking during that conversation but uh, it was a nice relaxed environment I I, I thought he, that, that was one of the best clips there probably the best one he just uh, yeah he just sounded like I mean he still also sounded super confident in other areas it's like listen if I make the run nobody I, can stop me if I, make, if I time my run he kept talking about that timing if I time my run correctly yeah. then yeah basically well there was that moment in the game you know where he uh, he hit the outside of the post when I forget was was Silva maybe Grealish, I'm not sure which player played the through ball, maybe Gunnion it was, uh, where he ran from a central position just in front of Lissandro Martinez, who could see him because he was right there in front of him, but there was just nothing he could do. You know, you see Haaland, his whole face just, mm -hmm. he's like, you know, the ball is coming through and Lissandro, I mean, he did, in fairness, get across, so he, so he had to kind of hit the shot first time, but if the shot was on target in the bottom corner instead of the outside of the post, I think that's got to be another it's, goal. It's funny because Neville was framing like, you're so big, you're so physical, you're so strong. Uh, it's like a, an adult playing with 10-year-olds or whatever. And Five-year-olds. Yeah, the way Haaland answered, answered it was like, when he was talking about the timing of the run was, I'm so fast, mm. which is a very different thing. You know, it's it's like, don't just talk about me like I'm some sort of monster here. I yeah. run really, really fast. The neck to him was as the bowl of a great oak knotted and seized together with muscle humps and carbuncles of tangled sinew, the better for good feasting and contending with the bards. Oh, Henry Winter. The chest to him was wider October than the poles 2022. of a good chariot, coming now in, now, now out, now in, pastured from chin to navel with meadows of black man hair, meated with layers of fine man meat, the better to hide his bones and fashion the semblance of his twin bubs, etc. Who has seen the like of Erling, or seen the living semblance of him standing in the world, Erling that could best God at ball throw, or wrestling, or pig trailing, or at the honeyed discourse of sweet Irish, Norwegian I suppose, with jewels and gold for bards or at the listening of distant harpers in a black hole at evening. Where is the living human man who could beat Erling at the making of generous cheese, at the spearing of ganders, at the magic of thumbsuck, the shaving of hog hair, or the unleashing of long hounds from a golden thong in the full chase, sweet-fingered corn-yellow Erling, Erling that could carry an armed host from Alma to Sleeve Lucre in the craw of his gut-hung knickers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> a sweet finger, was that... Was that Michael Irvin? Sweet fingered, <laughs> finger licking good. Is that what? The, is yeah, it? I mean it's just crazy. And you know, sorry, what did what were we just listening to there? We should. You don't recognize? No, it, it's not uh, uh, Tim Pat Coogan's biography of Michael Collins. No, <laughs> no, it's uh, it's one of the the Finn McCool sections of At Swim Two Birds, which is really the only place where I've ever seen uh, superlatives on the scale. That really, you know, I just think he's he's shown the only way to to yeah. really speak about uh, <laughs> to speak about uh, this guy, Big Erling, Big Erling, 
big Erling. The nose to his white white face. <laughs> the mouth to his white white face had dimensions and measurements to the width of Ulster, bordered by a red lip wall and inhabited unseen by the watchful host of his honey yellow teeth, to the size each with each of a corn stack. And in the dark hollow to each tooth there was home and fullness for the sitting there of a thorny dog or for the lying there of a spear-pierced badger. <laughs> to each of the two eyes in his head was their eye hair to the fashion of a young forest, to the colour of each great eyeball was as the slaughter of a host in snow. Listen, United were humiliated yesterday, but there are no <laughs> badgers were harmed in the making of this 6-3. I think we should make, we should make that perfectly clear. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it really is... He's uh, a big lad and he's not afraid to throw it about, Ken. Let's be honest. I mean, it's, it's literally that at this point, it's like, when is he going to get bored of this? Mm. Yeah, everyone, everyone just has to wait now for Erling Haaland to get bored of success. Mm. And then What's his be... injury profile like? He doesn't get injured, no, really, he does he? To. Well, he got, he got injured. Actually, Guardiola said something interesting in the, in the press conference. Yesterday. He said, well, the physios are winning games for us. And he mentioned the fact that the doctors at Dortmund hadn't been able to get uh, Haaland on the pitch all the time because mm. he missed quite a few games last, last season. Um, but, but our doctors have. And, mm. and, and shout out to the doctors. You don't often hear managers say in a post-match press conference yeah, yeah. they've just hammered um, Man United. Well, maybe Dortmund were more jealously guarding the millions of euro that they were definitely going to get as long as Erling Haaland didn't suffer a catastrophic injury. Whereas City have already paid the huge millions or the yeah. many millions. Yeah, well, not as much on the transfer fee, obviously, but uh, I'm sure he's getting quite a lot of money. Mm. I wonder what his hat-trick bonus is. I mean, <laughs> if his hat-trick bonus is sizable, that he's having a... He's really having a badder couple of weeks. So, um, Eric Ten Hag, uh, I was surprised to see, you know, the Manchester Evening News, for instance, saying, criticising Ten Hag, some of the lookers saying, you know, too passive. I mean, Ten Hag did say this himself, like that the, that the approach of the team was too passive. But I thought the team that he selected was quite attacking. Too attacking. Um... You know, he, he, I can see how he didn't want to change what had been a successful formula for the games against Liverpool and Arsenal, the two big teams that, that United have already beaten. Um, and it was basically the same setup as in those teams, not exactly the same lineup, but the same setup. Um, this game is, you know, an away game against City, the way they're going with Holland, you know, I really wonder if maybe, did he need the two wingers? I mean, they, they were hardly involved. Anthony obviously scored a brilliant goal, but was it really a day for that? You know, Fernandez and Eriksen, both in midfield, uh, with Rashford up front. Well, you know, he, he talked about if our approach, you know, on the front foot, he kept saying if we'd been on the front foot, rather than sort of constantly rocked back by these punches that they were getting from City, metaphorical punches, um, then then it kind of it might have been different. But I'm not sure. Well, we were we were kind of lauding Ericsson in that deeper midfield role. But after the Arsenal game, but I don't know what when you look at it. Ericsson, you're asking a lot from Scott McTominay there, put it that way. If you've mm. got Ericsson and Bruno in in that sort of area as well. You're looking for McTominay to be really all action. And you might yeah. be as asking more than Scott McTominay is capable of. I mean, you don't, you don't want to really drop either one of Fernandes or Ericsson because they're sort of the brain of the team, really. Mm. But, you know, he did, didn't he play them both against, wasn't it Brighton? That was the first game of the season when, when they were kind of, 
I can't remember if it was Brighton or Brentford, where, they, where it was sort of like, yeah, you're going to cleverly interchange positions between being Eric's false nine. was a false nine. Yeah, they were kind of yeah. switching, and it just didn't work at all. So, and, and playing against City, you need, you, you obviously need someone who can attack the space, which is Rashford. You know, you're like, well, this is exactly what Rashford is good at, you know? Of course, Rashford didn't, you know, barely touch the ball when he did. It wasn't good. You know, I kept giving it away with these sideways balls. You know, it was, it was a real... Um, you know, it, they they were totally they were hammered. As as Ten Hag said, the question of Ronaldo came up as well. Ronaldo was similar next to Casemiro. Though Casemiro was a more relevant player, you know, in terms of why he wasn't involved uh, than Ronaldo. But Ten Hag said this afterwards when when he was asked, "You you didn't use Ronaldo?" I mean, for for I should say, I don't think for a second Ronaldo should have been involved because he's you need someone, as I said, who can attack the space, and that's not him anymore. Um, this is what Ten Hag said. I, I wouldn't bring him in because we are funneled down the, uh, out of respect uh, for, for Cristiano, for, for his big career. And, and the other thing, uh, there was then the advantage. It could, I could bring Anton, uh, Anthony Martial, he needs the minutes. Um, uh, but I, I don't want to point it out like that. Well, I mean, Anthony Martial needs minutes. <laughs> you know, Ronaldo could do it in a few minutes. He's only playing the World Cup in this is, November. That's the best answer to that question possible. Why? How, how, why? Because, I mean, the truth no one wants to hear and he doesn't want to say about Ronaldo, which is to say there's literally no role for Ronaldo in this game. Mm. Yeah. Like, literally none. Like, there's, there's, there's no possible reason to bring a Cristiano Ronaldo on at any stage. So, like, yeah. but, I mean, it's so obvious to people as well that, like, okay, you ask the question hoping that you get something along the lines of, well, you know, he's no use in this game and that's a story. So like that's that's how you answer that question. When is he ever going to be any use? Though I mean, Keane, I saw Keane saying they're disrespecting him. I mean, the exact opposite of what Ten Hag is saying. Mm-hmm. Ten Hag was like, I have too much respect to involve him in that shit mm-hmm. show. But um, but Keane was saying they're disrespecting him by just leaving him on the bench because it's clear, as Keane pointed out, which I think is true, he's not going to get in the team. You know, I mean, if you know, I, I, what what circumstances does he actually play? I mean, p- people have to be injured. Yeah, you know what I mean. And then well, okay, that, yeah. could, that could always There's happen. There's also the Europa League. Yeah, uh, and you know, Ronaldo can, Ronaldo can run up a few, run up a few goals. I mean, the, what the disrespect that would have happened was Ronaldo leaving the club and saying, "Well, that was a shit show. I had to get out of there." If anyone had any interest in in actually taking them off their hands, well, so, saying, I mean, what, what Keane says they did, and he's 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 saying the disrespect really is in keeping him, not letting him leave the club, and then sticking him on the bench the whole time. Yeah. But he and he seems to be pretty pretty convinced in his information wherever he's getting yeah, well, yeah that, well, that there were a bunch of clubs that would have actually taken Ronaldo well again you know it's it's obviously a situation where where United felt that it would the financial loss was mm. not palatable to them but anyway listen Ronaldo was such a complete non-issue in the exactly. wider scope so we shouldn't even, we shouldn't <laughs> yeah. even really be talking about him at this point it was just I just found that quote yeah, kind yeah, of funny yeah. but uh what else? And also put to Guardiola was something that Florentino Perez had been saying. Perez went talking yesterday. Um, just his quotes are sort of interesting. So he says, Our beloved sport is ill, losing global leadership. The young people are increasingly less interested. A trend to, to reverse before it is too late. That's actually the thing that was put to Guardiola. He says football is sick, you know, we need more games between big teams because young people don't care anymore about the game. They need to come back. And Guardiola just goes, no comment. So he's... Uh, number one, he doesn't want to respond to Florentino Perez and get into what it was with, uh, of course, with this man, um, you know, who's who's a big, uh, powerful figure in Spain. But also because what Perez is saying is sort of targeted at City and PSG. You know, they are his big, his bet noirs, let's say, uh, bet noir. 
And uh, so what's a parasite? He said, um, the new generations prefer other spectacles like the online platforms or video games. They're asking for a quality product that football does not provide because the current competitions do not attract them, even the final phases. With the maximum respect to the national leagues, the big European leagues should offer matches throughout the year, matches that bring the young people back. The Super League would not be a close competition. The president of the ECA, that's Nasser Al-Khalafi, the PSG um, pres CEO, president, um, and lots of other fingers and lots of other UEFA and European football pies. president of the ECA said that Madrid was afraid of the competition. It would be necessary to remind him who Real Madrid is. So basically, you know, we are, we are Real Madrid. Don't ever tell us that we're... Uh, we, Afraid of competitions, we win competitions. You know, that's what we're, that's what we do. Um, UEFA is increasing the number of games between irrelevant teams. With that, it will only accelerate the decadence of European football. According to Forbes, Madrid is the thirteenth most valuable club in the world. Before we were fifth, so the thirteenth most valuable club of all sporting. You know, not just football. There are only three football clubs in that ranking. The trend is inarguable. They must be doing something very well in the United States and very badly in old Europe. La Liga has lost subscribers on TV. Their strategy is to charge more to the few who are left. They've turned a product that should be popular into a luxury product. We've just won the 14 Champions League. We're already thinking about the 50. He says, Nadal and Djokovic have played against each other 59 times. Is this boring? Real Madrid and Liverpool have met nine times in 67 years. What is the point in depriving fans of these matches? So, um, so you know his. So what he's saying here is, you know, obviously he's he's Mr. Super League. He wants something like this to come back, and he wants something. He wants basically Real Madrid to be playing Liverpool, or for example, more often in order to bring the young people back, who he says aren't even attracted to the the, the final stages of the Champions League. There's a f problem with this argument. If young people, I mean, first of all, if young people aren't interested in football, mm. because I, I I would be interested to hear his. Where he gets the information on show that. your workings. Yeah, I would be interested to to see those figures and to analyze exactly what where he's getting this impression from. But if it's take it for for a moment mm. as read that you know what he's saying is has some truth to it. Um, if these young people, these Zoomers, are not interested in watching the the final stages of the Champions League, like if say the game between Man City and Real Madrid in the Champions League last season is not, is not capable of attracting them <laughs> it's just they're just not that into it yeah they're just not that into it because you can't get more on the line than that you can't like City against Madrid two you know top teams brilliant players on the field everything is on the line for the year in this game and you know, it's it, it, the 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 two games were this crazy spectacle. If that's not enough, yeah. Pa Paris's point is the current thing isn't working. Let's give them more of the current thing. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Pretty, pretty much, yeah. And 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 it's kind of like, well, I'm not sure. And and I think there's a there's a a basic sort of misunderstanding, or I don't know if it's deliberate or, but but the the idea of football as being entertainment is wrong. It's not really entertainment. It's kind of a different thing, right? It's like, it's it's belonging, right? It's it's a kind of a social phenomenon which is different from like TV shows or like video games, right? It's as entertainment, it actually cannot compete with video games. 
it's just that's not as good. Like, it's not it's not as good as as entertainment. Like you're watching football. Well, you're a passive observer. Watching of, football on yeah. TV is, is is basically passive. I mean, you can have mm. you can watch it with other people. It can be social. You can swear together at what's happening. Mm. But like, it's you're still it's it's still being broadcast at you. You know, a video game like you're in it. Like that that's also social. I mean, in, in, well, also know, a, lar- a large part of the popularity of video of gaming at the moment is watching other people game. Yeah, it's true, but you know, it, again, you're, you're, it's, I mean, which is, which is, which is incredible. <laughs> I mean, again, this, it's not given to us to understand feel, everything that happens. we're past that. Now. What I'm we can never understand the popularity of the uh, of gaming isn't just. Yeah, you, if you're looking for why that's exploded, it can't simply be down to the actual the active role you're playing in it when actually you, p- passive bystanders find it just as fascinating. Well, wa- watching, you're also watching to for something that you yourself can then play. I mean, football is a bit like mm. that too, but like um, a lot of people are better at video games than football. It's, you know, you can get better. Um, uh, some, you know, not everyone is Erling Haaland. But you know, in in virtual mm. form, there are more. Really. You can be Alfinger, Haaland. <laughs> you can at least be Alfie. You know, um, but I do, I just don't feel like people actually watch football r- really for entertainment. Like it's it's uh, no. like, do we watch Ireland for entertainment? Like no, I mean, no, but we, we watch. But we, surely we watch matches between two teams we don't support in the Premier League, for example, for entertainment. Do you? But do you though? Did you? Did you actually watch the Wolves Villa in the end? You were saying it was the worst game ever. Wolves no, West not Wolves, Wolves West Ham, sorry, Leeds Villa, another awful game. Yeah, Wolves, I was unfortunately playing a game myself on Saturday evening. So I this is on Fr- in France Murphy's Guide on Friday, you were describing that as the least the, appealing Well, I was just opening it up to the, the floor game. for an engaging you got your, conversation you got your blood sacrifice. shut down immediately. You got your blood sacrifice because Bruno Lag oh. lost his job. So Almost too much But they're, they're literally the two bad games out of a, out of a s- round of fixtures where loads of amazing stuff happened. And of course it was entertaining. Uh, yeah, no, like it's, Liverpool Brighton, that was entertaining to me. I don't support Liverpool or Liver, uh, don't support Brighton. But yeah, it's still hilarious and entertaining but, to watch. But it's kind of like it's it's not really it's it's not an entertainment product that can be compared with actual entertainment products like video games, which are also increasingly full of like psychological hooks, like addictive mm. mechanisms. Which you know, just <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't like you football cannot compete with this, um, and that's not. I just like I, I kind of see it more like kind of being in a church or. You know, like these types of mass social organizations, which are now in a lot of countries kind of beginning to dissolve a bit or certainly are nowhere near as mm. like, you know, unions or political parties yeah, or churches. I mean, I'm Th- reading a bit about... This type of a big, uh, a big thing that you are part of or feel yourself to be part of because people are watching these games. Take a game of a team that you actually follow because most people watching football are follow, are watching their team right, or trying to follow mm. their team. And they're not really that interested in... You know, there, there might be some people who are like, I'm going to watch six matches or whatever. Most people are kind of paying attention to one team. And is it entertainment they want? There's something else going on there. Like the, the, yeah, the I'm, anger I'm, that you feel when you're when you're losing, the kind of the gloating joy of, of winning. You know, that's, that's a sort of a different thing. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I'm reading a thing about uh, third places at the moment, you know, which is... Uh, it's it's kind of why is loneliness such a thing in the 21st century? Mm. And it's the absence of a third place, which isn't your home and isn't your work. Yeah. And there is certainly an element of football sports Def- Definitely is one of those, is an example of one of those yeah. types of places. Yeah. And what, uh, it used to be the church or it used to be the pub or something like yeah, this? Yeah, or cafes, bars, whatever. But it's, it's, it's kind of about urban planning as well. Like urban planning has necessarily taken out third places. So if you live in a suburb in a massive housing estate, there isn't actually 
a place for you to go for you to go and be a part of a community that isn't your home and isn't mm. your work. Yeah. I think that football clubs, sports clubs generally, but football clubs do this as well. They provide a third place for someone to actually yeah. exist in the world. And you know, uh, and that's if you're actually going to the the thing physical space but as it as it's sort of a tv product i mean obviously the virtual space is like a third place you know in the sense that like there's mm. like this massive this giant universe of social media yeah which like which you can sort of be in continually but like also doesn't do much about atomization or loneliness if you're sitting there looking at a screen by yeah. yourself. you know that's you know kind of a different yeah but, that is but, a different but if world. as football as a, as a sort of a thing a, a thing which is competing for attention in that space is not very well adapted to it compared to some of the Things like video games, as he refers to, which have been kind of, which have grown up in that, and are, are designed specifically for it. You know, I don't really. Is it is it less that the spectator is passive in, in real world football, and more that the actual organisers, the authorities, are basically passive? There's only so much they can do. Like you're saying, they can't actually add all these, uh, tr- all these psychological tricks or whatever hooks. Video loot game. boxes, yeah. Real Madrid loot box. Do you know what I mean? So well, like, actually, Todd Bowley was talking about doing something like that. Uh, with, Todd, Todd Bowley could be the man. Todd, Todd, you know the Chelsea app. You know we need to start building loyalty points, which they can cash in at the stadium and all this kind. Of, it's not gambling. Mm. <laughs> so, although you can you can also have the gambling version. You know, well, you could start getting into NFT conversations here as well. Oh, like, I'm, you, I'm not saying these hooks are going to be good things. Uh, if, no, if they, if no they hooks. I mean, is a hook ever ever a good thing mm. when you're the thing that's meant to get hooked on it? Um, but you know, fundamentally, I think while this is is sort of interesting to think about, I think it's also kind of bullshit justifications from Perez for what he wants, which is to say uh, a new. Economic setup, which will gar- which would guarantee stable dominance for Real Madrid. I mean, that's actually what he's interested. In. He doesn't care if Zoomers aren't watching. <laughs> like you know, not really. Like he, but he doesn't want Real Madrid. Like he's seen Barcelona like burst under the pressure of trying to compete with Qatar. You know, he's seen Barcelona just blow up because. Uh, you know, if the, well, PSG put them in the situation where they have to sort of try. You know, PS, I don't blame PSG entirely for Bar- what Barcelona did, large, which was largely self-authored. But like this kind of raising the stakes with the whole Neymar situation and the, the kind of incredible salaries Barcelona pay, they blew up. And now what they've done is they've done like the Liz Truss, uh, quasi Quartang, like doubling down. Let's mm. let's go for it again. You know, levers or whatever. And I mean, I can't say I have great confidence that it's going to end well for them this time, unless there's some kind of change to what Paris is talking about. Anyway, um, uh, we talked more about Paris really there than we wanted, but uh, what else is going on? Just a couple of other things. I saw Roberto De Zerbi. We were talking about Graham Sooners last week, saying, oh, he, he obviously went on Google. Mm. Learned about Brighton. It's hardly the work of a genius. But he must have gone on Google again and, and typed in how to... Uh, tear Liverpool to pieces, <laughs> which I actually did just to see, and nothing ca- nothing comes up when you put in that exact how to tear Liverpool how to tear. If okay. I put if I put that in a quote marks, your search returned no documents. Mm. So I so I just then Google how to beat Liverpool, and the first thing that comes up was actually a, an article by Michael Cox in the Athletic. So I, I maybe thinking maybe I'm treading in the footsteps of Roberto De Zerbi. I clicked yeah. on this. Um, what did what was the recipe? This is September 2020. Um, Attack the Liverpool weaker centre back. This was that was just before. I'm to, this is probably at a time when they were at a were very strong. This, they were. This, they, it was the beginning, basically, of the of the season when they were champions. Yeah. So this is probably yeah. It's one of those articles being written in that context. Like it's hard to beat Liverpool. Mm. This is how you do it. Yeah. They 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 had only lost you know 
they they lost a couple to City and Arsenal. They'd gone this crazy unbeaten run, you know, uh, for for a long time. But you know, and this was just before Virgil had his knee crushed by uh, Pickford. Mm. Uh, so attacked a weaker Liverpool centre back, which at the time was well, you can have whoever, your choice now. Whoever isn't Virgil, <laughs> play passes in behind Andy Robertson wasn't playing, of course, the other day because at that time, as people talk about Trent, but have you have you seen mm. the positioning of Robertson? There's often a lot of space there. Uh, press Allison, you know, he likes to. Dawdle around with the ball at his feet, and then you run up and try and get the ball off him, and could lead to joy. Um, exploit the space behind the wide forwards, you know, Salah and Mane. There's some, often some space behind. Actually, Brighton did do that bit. Beat the XG. It's basically, you just score your chances. <laughs> score all your chances. And Brighton did, did, didn't did score all their chances, but they did beat their XG 1.6, and they scored three goals. And the build up to Brighton's third goal was particularly good. Um, this was an example, I think, of what James Horncastle was talking to us about when he he mentions the uh, Zerbi just after he'd been appointed at Brighton and was saying, you know, the uh, Zerbi obviously having been this fi- figure who was uh, sort of shouting the odds in Italian football and criticising all the old farts uh, with their old-fashioned ways, like, you know, Allegri, people like that, <laughs> like, you know, uh, obviously much to their annoyance, um, you know, rattling their cages a bit. Mm. And this this whole they they couldn't understand why are you trying to provoke uh, teams to sort of come at you like this. I mean, this is this, this is high wire risk taking stuff. But if you look at what Brighton did for that third goal, and this is and they're losing at that point. I mean, they they've gone from two 0 up to three, three two down. Um, it's brilliant. There's like four or five players, uh, you know, in, just inside the Brighton half, passing the ball really quickly to each other. And, you know, Jada and Salah are kind of, mm, what, what are we going to do? Uh, are we going to go? Are we going to sort of stand off, wait for them to... And they, Brighton don't come forward. So eventually they sort of have to come and try and get the ball. You know, I mean, they, they decide they have to do that. And it's actually Salah who gets beaten. The second time it happened to him in, the, in a very similar way, uh, where he comes to, to challenge a player who allows the ball to just run past the challenge and then takes it into the space past the challenge. And so he's now beaten and Brighton are kind of into the midfield sort of structure, you know, where they've been kept on the outside. Now they're in, pass the ball to the outside. And this is when the other thing happens, which is the ball just goes straight through Virgil van Dijk, mm. you know, and uh, and then to Trossard, who has a, who, who manages to finish, but like a lot, a lot to worry about, really, I think, for Liverpool. I mean, there was a there was an email going on about Trent. Should we mention that? Uh, uh. Oh, yeah, they, because Klopp, um, like last week, actually had, had sort of, before this game, had spoken about Alexander-Arnold in, in some detail. Yeah, this kind of uh, crisis that he's been going through and, and kind of attacking the criticism of him as basically stupid. Yeah, basically saying, look, this is I, I want him to be the first person triggering the press I want him to be that high up the pitch that's the reason there's space in behind because that's literally how I designed the play he did also allow for the fact that he's made a few individual mistakes mm. defensively at the same time but he, he certainly feels that a lot of the stuff is ill-informed because Trent is just doing what Klopp has asked him to do yeah and, and, and he is and he did say that like I'm asking him to do that mm. so you know but um, Gavin Byrne emails us to say um uh this video of Klopp defending Alexander Arnold has been retweeted thousands, thousands of times by plenty of Liverpool sympathetic people on the internet. Um, people seem to be celebrating how Klopp has explained to us idiots that Alexander Arnold's high position was by design, a function of the way the team presses, blah, blah, blah. I think this is a complete 
mis misrepresentation of the criticism Alexander Arnold has been getting, though. I don't think anyone anywhere in their right mind was criticizing him for instances where he's caught high up the pitch. Anyone can see this is a deliberate tactic. He's been getting criticized for poor defending when he's been in defensive positions and has been repeatedly beaten by wingers and shown little to no intensity or interest in winning the ball back. His one-on-one -on -one defending has actually regressed. His Liverpool attack has stuttered a bit this season. The attacking output hasn't been the same. Both sides of the risk and reward equation have shifted with greater risk uh, and less reward. So, yeah, I mean... Again, and again, you know, there were mistakes for both of the first two Brighton goals. Um, and, you know, he nearly managed to score a free kick at the end. Didn't, though. Uh, and really, he's gone through a bit of a nightmare at the moment. I mean, it's got to the point where I think, would it be good for him to not have to go to the World Cup? I mean, because, you know, whether he goes or not, he's probably not going to play much, barring a bunch of mm. injuries. So is it better to go and be part of it that, or to stay at home and just kind of reset? Your if he's not, if it, you're looking into crystal ball there and assuming there won't be injuries and therefore mm. it probably is. But to be honest, in a way, I don't see the point in Southgate bringing him because he's the op exactly what Klopp talks about there is all the stuff that Southgate doesn't want to do mm. tactically. Yeah. Yeah. So no matter, like, he's already it, made so clear his feelings on Yeah, you, you get into a situation where you, you lose a couple of fullbacks and suddenly you're throwing... Yeah, I've got no problem playing you and Alexander Aaron, and even though the teammates yeah. know that you, don't, <laughs> you do don't want him to do what he normally does. So yeah. you're, you know, it could be better for all concerned, maybe for Alexander Arnold to stay home. Yeah. Now there's a couple of other things here. Obviously, the the early game. I mean, it always sort of gets a bit lost when we do these on Mondays. But the it was a big game, Arsenal against Tottenham, and Arsenal are still top of the league as a result of their three-one win and a, and a and a good win, um, in keeping with their good home record against Spurs recently. I thought they were a bit lucky that Spurs played so badly because, mm. and I, I see a lot of the reaction to this is kind of, oh, there's, you know, sort of questions over Conte's approach and whether it's too limiting, like it's too reactive or, you know, there's not enough freedom, not enough creativity. But I still feel as though, I mean, watching the game, I couldn't believe Tottenham weren't winning it at half time. They were so, they butchered so many, mm. so many of these chances that you, you're just expecting, especially with a player like Son, you know, and I remember Son. What well, Son just scored a hat trick. <laughs> remember his having been through this awful uh, uh, period where he he didn't he couldn't seem to do anything right. He then came on as a sub, scored a hat. It was a hat trick, right? I um, find it hard two? to remember what happened before. He scored the goal of the month. He scored one of them was the goal of the month. Uh, he scored a hat trick. It was, in, it was yeah, a hat trick. Yeah, 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 yeah as in a sub. seventeen minutes or whatever yeah. it was. Yeah. And and so it's like, and he's back, you know, his son is back. But then of course it's kind of this long break, and it's everyone has sort of forgotten where they were, and he's just kind of again that this performance is one of the worst uh, performances I've seen from him, in terms of the sloppiness of his uh, of his passing when he's involved in counterattacks and he's usually lethal, you know, so something is kind of weird there. I don't, he's, he's been so reliable for so long that this is just a massive drop off. Uh, and I don't really understand what it is, uh, whether, I, I don't know if, the, if, if like, I mean, obviously they've signed, you know, Richardson and Kulisevsky, he's playing very well with Kulisevsky, you know, in the squad last season. Is, is he feeling threatened? Like in terms of, oh my, you know, like Jota, his, his form sort of fell off a, cliff a bit when Liverpool signed Diaz because it was suddenly a case of oh well hang on do I still do I still have a, a role here you know I don't know if something like that is happening with Song I, I'm just grasping for whatever uh, it might be um, good day out for Arsenal though oh it was brilliant Granit Xhaka having his name sung and Xhaka like and it is an, it is an amazing 
turnaround. Yeah, really, isn't it? He's one of the guys who comes across well in that uh, in that documentary. Actually, Shaka, like he's got a good personality. You know, I mean, I say he's got a good personality. <laughs> like he's like I still remember last season where he came out with this ridiculous tirade about the team towards the end of the season. Remember, he he kind of was like attacking the team. I was like, why are you, why are you saying this? It's not your job to do that. Like, there's plenty of people who'll mm. do that for you. You know, you don't need to come in public and and say this, but. You know, rather than it sort of, I don't think people lose respect for him because he fundamentally seems to be quite a kind of likable guy. You know, that his teammates kind of like him, you know, and so they're like, well, he's, you know, every so often he's going to just go out and say we're the worst team in the world. And the Arsenal fans, but you know, finally like him after all these years. um, Coach Marsh was pissed off again, not for the first time, about uh, time wasting. Um, Just pissed. By the way, pissed. Of course, he was. Yeah. Pissed. He was pissed. The American yeah, terminology. Yeah. Yeah, he, was he was pissed. pissed yeah. Stevie G's uh, villa came and just absolutely acted the maggot, and ra- and you know just wasted time the whole time. Two to three opponents we've had here, says Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh, thinking of of obviously uh, Frank Lampard's Everton as well, uh, who are level on points with uh, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. Should just point that out. Uh, two to three opponents uh, we've had who just want to throw the ball away. Take a minute on every goal kick. We need to help manage this. We can't do it alone. Our fans don't come here to watch a snail's pace match. So, um, he thinks it's entertainment. Well, it's, it's, yeah, well, I mean, he, he, it's a, I guess so. I mean, he's American. Um, but <laughs> he is, it's, it's unbelievable. It's not, it's not, it's no, not it's okay. That what I just did there is yeah, not it's, okay. It's, can I just say, it? I'd like to distance myself from it's that comment. It's not okay. I, I distance myself from my own comment. I don't even know where that came from. You know, probably just crawl around the ground. I would like to apologize for my slimy undergrowth of the internet. Yeah, that was terrible. But you know, and and it sounds like he he might be an advocate of the you know the sixty minutes basic time universal basic time concept. You know, which David Dean, for instance, is pushing. Um, uh, so you've got like a sixty minute. You have to have sixty minutes of in play time. Um, thirty minutes of each half, which doesn't mean that the that the game mm. is now thirty minutes. It means is you've still got be hundred and twenty minutes. You've still long. got a ninety minute game. Yeah. Um, but if there is, but the game will continue until such time, until such time as thirty minutes of each in play time has actually expired in each half, right? Rather than the current, oh, we'll add on however much we think is good for the narrative, you know. <laughs> um, like there was two minutes in the game yesterday. It's like, well, you know. Let's let's just wrap this one up. Yeah. The, the six three, but um, just as United were charging as well, yeah. <laughs> they really were. You know, maybe that was it. It was like, look, you know, we never it. lose. We just run out of time. <laughs> well, Eric Denag. Let's <laughs> <laughs> let's blow that one up. But uh, I do wonder what the effect of that actually would be. The, the, would it have un, unintended bad effects? Like, obviously, the the idea is there's no point in time wasting anymore because you can't waste the time. The ball being out of play, the clock stopped. Mm. So you can waste as much time as you like, but you haven't wasted any time. I just wonder if the thing is that the, that the incentive then, or the advantage is then with the team that doesn't want the time to run out, who can then take their time in a way that hasn't. I, I think about Rafael Nadal, Rafael Nadal playing tennis. Mm-hmm. I find him annoying to watch. With his big routine before each serve. Every single point, Rafael Nadal. Wipes his eyebrows, adjusts his 
his shirt and shorts, mm-hmm. bounces the ball a few times, and sometimes does it all over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're just like, come on, I don't have all day. Yeah, the, the idea is that t- time wasting isn't just about wasting time. It's also a, about breaking momentum. And yeah. in Dean's idea, then momentum breaking can go on and not be punished at all. It can do. I know, but also you, you can sort of be, you can sort of take little breathers. Mm. You know, a team, a team that's like chasing uh, chasing I've the game, the chasing, game recently. Chasing like after every, if, if balls in play for three minutes, everyone just takes a break for every, the water carriers just bomb on. Everyone just ha- has a break. It's like, what are we doing? I thought we were meant to be what, hurrying the game up. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm not sure how it would work. I mean, uh, it would be interesting. So, uh, anyway, just a couple of things. Uh, first win for Graham Potter at Chelsea. Uh, first uh, league win, I guess. Great goal well, by Cameron Geller. No, first win. They, they drew their only game, Champions League game. First win. So, so good, uh, good to get going. And that they've signed also, or are signing, uh, Nkunku from um, Red Bull Leipzig. Uh, now, he's not going to be arriving until um, until next summer. But they've done a kind of a Nabi style arrangement, I guess, where they pay a little bit above the buyout clause in order to secure the signing. This is reported by David Ornstein. And any, any right, so Christopher Nkunku is going to be a Chelsea player, which is an interesting one. Um, like... As a forward, he is different from what they have had. In, like he's a he is a proper centre forward. He's not the biggest, he's not the fastest, but he is a very good all rounder who works very hard for the team. Um, I would say I would the player he kind of reminds me of is is Gabriel Jesus. Because um, they have Aubameyang. I mean, they literally just signed Aubameyang. He yeah, scored at the weekend. Um, I mean, that was a mistake. They should never have signed Aubameyang. It's a good goal at the weekend. He, he, scored, he scored a goal, and he is capable of scoring goals, but like, he's not really a centre-forward. He doesn't have the... Certainly, he doesn't have but the kind of physical dynamism. Forward. I don't think he is. No. I, I don't think he's a... He's a, he's a striker. He's, he's, he's yeah. like a goal-poaching forward. He doesn't. He's not really going to... I don't think he can lead the line for a team in the Premier League at this point. I mean, I'm sure we're going to see him doing that for Chelsea because they don't really have other options. I mean, Havertz is kind of maybe a false line option. But this guy, Nkunku, is better able, is physically up to the demands of that. I mean, whether he's good a, as good a goal scorer as Aubameyang, I don't, I don't think so. Certainly hasn't shown that yet. Um, but as an all-round sort of a, a package, I think that he is more suitable for what they're doing and can, you know... The thing about Obama is I don't really feel that he helps the players around him to look good as well. But I think that Nkunku can do that. Um, so it's a good signing for uh, it's for, for Chelsea, I think, although obviously um, nothing is going to uh, change until next summer. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bite. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is... Stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows 
secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations. They are amazing. So Manchester Derby chat now with John Bruin. Hi, John. Hello, Owen. And Mark Critchley, who was at the Etihad for the Independent. Hey, Mark, how are you? Hey, how's it going? Good. Nice, easy question for you to start with, Mark. How is Erling Haaland making this look so bloody easy? <laughs> um, oh, God. I, I don't know. Like, with it's, it's, it's the first week of October, and even talking to colleagues and everyone else who covers Manchester football, we're getting, we're running out of things to say. Uh, even Pep's running out of things to say. You know, it, it just feels like how have we reached this point already? We've still got nine months of the season to go talking about how good this guy is. I mean, you're running out of words to describe him. I mean, even even the words that people use to describe him are, are kind of insults, like alien freak. It's like he... Yeah, monster. <laughs> Wenger called him a monster. But exactly, yeah, that, that sort of thing. Like, you just, it almost like inverts the definition of language to try and to try and find new ways of, of saying how good he is. I just think um, all you can do really is just look at the numbers that he's just accruing and the records that he's breaking. And, you know, it's as many, it's as many Premier League hat-tricks as Ronaldo now, and I, and I think 224 fewer games. It's. Mm. I think he's set to break the, uh, the 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 Premier League record for goals in a season's thirty four. I think he's he can do that in the next twelve games at this rate. And you know he's scoring. I think there was a graphic yesterday. He's scoring every like fourteen touches. Um, it's just something that you've we've never really seen before. A, a paradigm is being shifted, if you like, in in how we judge and 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 how history judges. And certainly, Premier League history judges um, judges strikers. Um, and yeah, look, I think it's 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 the economy of it. I think that's uh, you know there was a in Pep's in Pep's press conference that after the game yesterday, he he said that um, he was speaking to Harlan and he said that he'd like to touch the ball five times in a game and score five goals, um, and that he doesn't like that and he wants him to touch the ball more. But I had a look at it afterwards. I had a look at like. The numbers in terms of his touches and things like that. He's actually taking fewer touches at City than he did at Dortmund even last season. So you're actually seeing an even more kind of pared back um, version of, of the player that you, we all thought was kind of almost what a lot of people said, and there was there was reason to the logic that he wasn't a natural fit for this City team in that sense. But it's what he does with those touches when he has the, when he gets it, and um, you know it's just extraordinary. I mean. We in, in the press box yesterday. We were sat just a few yards behind um, Alfie Harlan, um, and <laughs> I think you know it was tweeted around quite a lot that after he scored his hat trick, he joined in the whole Poznan that was going around the stadium. Mm. And you were looking at this guy like facing you, turning back at you, um, and you were thinking you were like a you were like a jobbing workman like midfielder who was known for kicking people and, and getting kicked, you know, more than anything else, and yet. I was just trying to get into his head and thinking, like, what must it be like for you witnessing this and just thinking you've created this monster? You know, this guy who makes elite professional football look just like child's play. And, it, yeah, it's just extraordinary. It is really. And, like I say, I don't know how I'm going to keep writing about him between now and May and beyond that because you're running out of ways to describe just, just what he's doing. Well, to give Alf Inga his due, he still holds the, the record. He's still got four goals more than Erling has for Manchester City in the Premier League. So, Haaland will have that wrapped up next weekend, no doubt, uh, the way he's going at the moment. John, I have to say, I, I know I, I take Mark's point about the economy with which he does everything, but I did feel yesterday 
was maybe his best all-round performance. I mean, he set up a couple of goals right from the start. He, he, he got on the ball and he got ha- hacked down in the first minute, as did Grealish a little while later. I thought he looked like, not that he's n- never not in the mood, but he, he was very much in the mood. And I, I don't know, I thought it was probably his best all-round performance for City. Like It was, it was ridiculous. He, he showed he can actually pass like Kevin De Bruyne when he was put in, in the position to do so. Yeah, it was, it was almost like, okay, I'm going to show how good I can be with the economy that Mark mentions. So how few touches the ball he had, he managed to show that he can be both unbelievable goal scorer and playmaker too. I don't know if he, in Irish sports, I don't know if you've ever had this equivalent of a, of a paradigm shift player. You know, in, say, rugby union, you had, a, say, Dan Carter or Jonah Lomo, someone like that. Cricket, you have a Donald Bradman, I suppose, would be the, with the guy. Uh, maybe motor racing, you know, Michael Schumacher. Somebody, uh, obviously, golf, Tiger Woods. Somebody that just could Jack McCaffrey? No? Who would it be in the. It would be Stephen Cluxon, probably uh, the Dublin goalkeeper, I would say. Okay. As somebody who's actually, who actually, are you talking about somebody who, who's, who's given credit for changing the game or changing the way his position. Well, just being played, so good at something that, it, it, you know, it's. I mean, you listen to the great football men like Graham Souness or, or Roy Keane. They always talk about how maybe maybe not so much Roy, but the, the hardest part of playing the game is you know is scoring goals and being a striker. Um, yeah, Harland appears to make that look incredibly easy, and his smashing statistics and it, you, you're almost going back into the, the the Wilsonian era, the Jonathan Wilson era of like Dixie Dean or something, and beginning to think. You know, when 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 we used to laugh about oh the defenses back in the nineteen twenties they can't be much cop. Well, Erling Haaland is making them make, now making us realise what what that might have been like. He's got a smash Dixie Dean's sixty goals. No, never He's never heard of Dixie Dean. No, really. He, he revealed to Gary Neville when Gary Neville asked him about Dixie Dean. He's, have you ever heard of him? No. <laughs> but <laughs> so he's, he's he's never heard of. So does, that, does that mean he's never heard of George Camsell that scored fifty nine the season before Dixie <laughs> scored sixty? I had so never I had never heard of that guy. Yeah. I mean, his yeah. fifty nine is no use to anyone when, when the next guy scores sixty. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he scored fifty nine one season, and the next season the guy scores sixty. That's oh, a choker, no. that is, isn't it? But, yeah, yeah. But yes, look him up. Very interesting. <laughs> but um, yeah. But yes, but you are look, be looking at a player that's doing this, and then as as you introduced me there. I mean, he does that, and now we're seeing this other side of him where he does have the the the, the, um, the talent to play in players to to be, be to to involve himself in combination play, and that you know uh, you've got Phil Foden there. Oh yeah, listen, we're gonna we're gonna talk about him, but we're not finished talking about the yeah. freak, the alien, the monster. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I, but I mean, just just in comparison, Phil Foden is probably the, the most talented English player we've seen for quite a long is time. Is Phil Foden better than David Silva? Yes. Yeah, he, he obviously is, right? Mark? Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. Why? Well, look, well look, 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 he's not achieved what David Silva has yet. But, Imagine oh. David Silva, but scores goals. Let's uh, do <laughs> it over a concerted period of time. Okay, look, the, 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 here's a here's a question that that sort of arose watching Holland. It's like unbelievable. Now, part of it, okay, is obviously and and when Holland did that interview with with Neville and when Guardiola talks about him, he Guardiola says, "Well, he's got good mates, his mates around him." This is the word Guardiola uses for his players, um, and the the, the brilliant passing of Kevin De Bruyne you know I mean the pass for the for the third city you know the one with the Holland second I mean just incredible Kevin De Bruyne has been doing that for seven years by the way 
and yeah. there's no and he's played with some pretty useful strikers or forwards and no one has come close to this you know this sort of um, efficiency or this i mean efficiency is is it is efficient but it's kind of more spectacular than the word efficiency suggests you know it's it's absurd what he's doing no one has been able to do this before is guardiola now in the duck <laughs> for wasting the last seven years, for wasting seven years of Kevin De Bruyne by failing to provide the the best assister in the world with the big, the kind of big number nine he's been crying out for all along. I mean, if if Guardiola hadn't been so uh, obsessed with his own theories about eleven, the eleven midfielder game, could he be sitting atop a mountain of Champions Leagues now? If he had simply just gone and bought a big lad F- football. Pep is fundamentally a game of big number nines, and is my is mine bigger than yours? And that's what Erling Haaland has proved. It's sort of proving his manager wrong. I mean, what do you make of that? Um, I think that if we're talking about Erling Haaland being this paradigm shift player and somebody that hasn't been around before, then what was he supposed? To? There wasn't that sort. There wasn't this. There wasn't this kind of number nine. No, it's not just any number nine. He had. Um, a pretty good number nine in Sergio Aguero for years and years and look that that was still enough to win multiple Premier League titles and uh, with record points totals but um, again what we're seeing now is something completely beyond that level you know and I know you've been slightly facetious with, with the question <laughs> so but I don't I, I wouldn't obviously say that Pep's failed in any way to do that I just I the third goal that you talk about yesterday um, held in second I was sat right behind that in the press box and looking at it as De Bruyne tried to play the pass, it felt like that isn't a pass that comes off. Even Absolutely, for that's, ex- that's exactly what I thought watching it. And I think the crowd, the crowd didn't react to it until the no. ball until the ball hit the net because because they couldn't see how it was going to be a goal from you know it just didn't look like a goal was coming there. Precisely, yeah. And I, it's not even the fact that there was like I think there was about four United players in front of him with defenders around him. It's 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 also even Haaland's position in at the far post. He's so close to the to the to the byline there that the pass only needs to be slightly off for it to go out of play, or the finish just needs to be wrong. And it's it's almost the combination of the two. It it just means that this city team. I mean, I I always thought that the seventeen eighteen team was the best one, and I've maintained that for years. And you know, this one's still got a whole you know eight months or whatever to play. Um, but it's like this one's playing on a whole new conception of geometry or like, it is like 4D chess, you know, it's like they're, they're acting on a kind of plane that defenders just aren't used to actually having to think about or defend against. And that was what that goal felt like yesterday when you have the combination of De Bruyne's vision and ability to get the ball into that space and also Haaland's just, you know, just the fact that he can stretch that left leg out and reach it. It's like nothing that any opponents have really have to have to compute before and that's why i think that we're just talking about something completely different that you know other guardiola teams couldn't really have emulate because they didn't have a player like Haaland to do that even if they did have de bruyne at the same time yeah um, and, and i think also another thing about that game yesterday that, that should be pointed out is that it actually was an an understrength city team, you know, hugely understrength. I mean, Rodri is is like their main man in midfield. I mean, he, he kind of usually dictates the tempo of the whole game. I mean, obviously Gundogan is a pretty decent player to to bring into that role. Um, but you know, that was they were missing uh, they were missing a big player there. That the, they were playing their fourth and fifth choice 
centre backs, I guess, you know, because of uh, of injuries to Diaz, Abort, and Stones. Um, and you know, when I saw the teams at the beginning of the game, I have to admit, I thought, well, I think United have got a good chance here because you know you've already seen them against Liverpool and Arsenal, um, the way that they were able to win those matches, and I thought they could that could well happen again. Obviously, after about three minutes. I was beginning to form a different idea about the game. <laughs> During like, 90 seconds, I actually, I'm not sure if United are going to... I do have a chance here. But, John, I just wanted to ask about the uh, what you feel the, the impact of this is on Manchester United. Because you have, you know, you've, you've been around the block a couple of times, John. You've, you've been there at the low points for, for Manchester United. You've seen some... You've seen, um, you know, the Barbarians sack the Citadel a few times. Um, 5-1 in 1989. 6-1 memorably again in 2011 and, and a bunch of other, you know, I mean, these, these defeats. What I want to what I want to ask is, did the impact of this feel, uh, how would you compare this sort of emotional impact on Manchester United of, of what happened to them yesterday, which was an absolute, like, I, I think yesterday was a more thorough defeat than either of those, the, the ones that I mentioned, the 5-1 or the 6-1. The 6-1, I remember City ran in three goals late on, you know, as United were chasing the game. This one was already 6-1 when they decided, okay, we're, we're going to take off four of our best players now and sort of just play this one out. So the scoreline looks better, but in my opinion, the, the thrashing was more comprehensive. Like the superiority was, what the, the gap between the sides was was bigger. And yet it seemed, it, it felt to me as though United were kind of like, yeah, you know, this is just, just one of those days. You know, as opposed to like a thousand year earthquake you know, of the style of, of, of the say, the 5-1 and 89. This just kind of felt... I mean, I don't know if you shared that impression. Yeah. Um, weirdly, I remember li- listening to the 5-1 in the back of a taxi uh, back in 1989. The 6-1, if I'm correct, United were down to 10 men, and as you say, Ken, chasing the game. Uh, but yeah, in neither of those games did Manchester City declare, to use a cricketing term, uh, which is pretty much what they did here. Um, and it did get to the point where Martin Tyler, um, amongst his discourse, of which there was plenty, we started to talk about another game uh, that Manchester City played in the 80s when they beat Huddersfield 10-1, uh, which yeah. I do remember. He said something about there being three hat-trick scorers in that game, yeah. and you're thinking, oh, well. well yeah, uh, uh, it, let me let me see if I can remember them. Uh, <laughs> the hat-trick scorers, uh, Paul Stewart, um, David White, and uh, Tony Adcock, who was a a lesser-spotted, uh, flame-haired striker. Uh, and I believe, if I can remember this, Neil McNabb got the other goal for City and the other, and it was a penalty. Uh, I think it was either Eddie or Andy May. I think it's Andy May who'd been a City player. Malcolm McDonald was the manager at Huddersfield. So we were almost like rolling into history. And this is when City were in the second division, uh, as was. And it was, it, was, it was that level of punishment that was being dished out at that point until City just decided... Okay, we you know rest players. They've obviously got Champions League um, assignments to cope with. There's a long season ahead. Um, Pep Guardiola, I suspect, doesn't want to be too showy too early. Uh, he knows what could happen to his team towards the end of the season. Um, but as, as regards Manchester United, the, the game that it actually reminded me of um, was early in the David Moyes era um, when Manuel Pellegrini was City manager. Um, they went to uh, the, the Etihad. I think they lost 4-1, absolutely punished, battered out of sight. And you saw the huge gulf between City and United then. And the thing is, that's 
2013, we're in, we're in 2022 now. The Gulf is just as large now. That's that's what we saw uh, yesterday, Sunday. Um, United have had a decent start to the season after that. Um, those couple of defeats at the start. They've beaten Liverpool and Arsenal. And I suppose the thing that we could take from it is the Gulf between Manchester City and everybody else in those big games could be absolutely huge. Uh, no one has those, those gears um, that they have. Um, United were caught cold from, you said, I think, you, did you say the third minute, Ken? Well, or, the, what I, I mean I, is... I thought that was a bit late. I mean, I thought mm. it was caught cold from... Well, there, there was that. There, there was, you know, City sort of got in and, and there was like three. Haaland had the header and then it came out to De Bruyne yeah. and it was a block and then it came out. Yes, uh, that's right. And yeah. Yeah. someone else, Grealish or Silva, had another shot and it was blocked again. And, and you, well, it's one of those. Well, a lot of half chances already. Yeah. 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 I was, yeah. As soon as that, I thought, well, hang on a sec. And, and, and you, 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 at that point, you think, are United going to just soak up pressure and score goals on, on the counter as they did against Arsenal? Um, well, no, is the answer because uh, Manchester City are a completely different proposition. Um, and uh, actually, at the end of it, what I who I felt most sorry for was Arsenal, who were having a really good season, really enjoying themselves. Hope springs eternal, and yet they can't win the league with that Manchester City team around. It's never going to happen, is it? Yeah, I did. I did think the pre-match analysis was a little bit. A, a lot of the optimism around Manchester United seemed to center around the fact that, well, they're better against better teams. That that it suits them better to play against the likes of Man City. Mark, uh, the problem being that Man City aren't Arsenal. You know what I mean? In fact, with due respect to Liverpool, Man or City Liverpool. are a lot better than Liverpool this season as well. It seemed a bit of a flimsy argument to me, just basically because they can play on the counter attack potentially. And therefore, they can beat this team that are way better than them, which obviously didn't pan out that way. I mean, what did you make of Ten Hag afterwards? He's talking about belief. We we didn't have enough belief to do it. And I, I let, let the players know that they weren't brave enough and all these sorts of things. What did Man United get wrong? Um, look, I think, um, as we kind of discussed after the Arsenal game, um, I think Ten Hag, after those opening two defeats, he's, he has lent into this identity that you um, identify there about about how they're still thought of as a good counter-attacking team who are useful out of possession and, and have the players to to hit teams on the break and i i do still think that's mm. the point that that's where they're at, at the moment. and so it wasn't really much of a surprise to see them follow that same game plan but it was just how how rushed it was you know the number the, the number of like simple passes that were being misplaced in that opening kind of 20 minutes when they were still one nil down and they still had a kind of route to get back into the game. I mean, it was it was, it was stunning, really. And those first twenty minutes, Foden and Grealish were absolutely all over them. And both both their fullbacks, both Malasia and Dallo, got on the booking quickly, pretty pretty early. And you just felt they're not being protected whatsoever. I saw with Wenger discussing this afterwards as well. And you just thought they're not being protected because they Ten Hag wants his forwards all the way up the field to to release that counter attack. And it just felt like, you know, if they'd just been a little bit more patient at times, if they'd just tried to carry a little bit more possession, then maybe they could have got themselves a little something of a foothold into the game, but it got completely taken away from them through that. And look, he, afterwards, yeah, he was talking about belief. He was talking about um, attitude and things like that. I think um, it's he was saying similar things after the Brentford game, and I think, this feels very different from the Brentford game because not just because they've had that bounce, but because it 
it was almost to be expected, you know, just given the side that City are, this is given the side that United are. But um, I mean, again, like I, I think just as you after the Arsenal game, we were kind of reluctant to take these four wins as a turning point. You've got to also just be careful that the magnitude of the result yesterday doesn't wipe out all the kind of little baby steps that they've been taking over the past over the past like month or so. Yeah. Um yeah. It, he doesn't Ten Hag, he doesn't tend to change winning teams. And this was one thing he mentioned that he was asked afterwards basically why didn't you play Casemiro? And yeah. I think that's that's one thing that you'll probably see that you we probably should see over the next few weeks now. Yeah. He, he doesn't tend to change his winning teams. He wants to he believes in rhythm. He wants a process to be maintained. Yeah, although, now, although I, I, I mean, I, I know what you mean, right? I, I, and I can yeah. see that I saw him saying that, and I thought, yeah, that's that's fair enough. Um, and 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 there's an argument about, like, I mean, if we if we talk about United's approach to the game, and what, and basically it was the same approach as as it was against Liverpool and Arsenal, and almost the same team as as it's, as played in both of those games. It was the same team that played against Arsenal, and you know, I can see why he why he does that, but. Maybe he needed to sort of assess that a bit more realistically in terms of what they were going to be coming up against and ask if, if all those attacking players could really fit in. And then he's got Casemiro sitting there. Now, I know you say you don't want to change a, a winning team, but he's happy enough to change a winning team when he was taking Anthony Alanga out to put Anthony... Ant, Anthony, 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 in yeah. his, his massive uh, new signing... Uh, you know, Alanga. <clears throat> sorry, Alanga played against Liverpool. They won that game. That was that was that's what where, where they kickstarted the season, you could say. But by the time they played Arsenal, they had Anthony, and he was playing. Now Casemiro is a huge sighting, and if that's not a game for Casemiro, I'm sort of like, you're you're playing away at City. You've got like this massively, you know, the 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 most successful defensive midfielder in European football of the last however many years, and you leave him on the bench. That was a weird decision. I agree. Um, I think two things on that. I think so. Yes, the Alanga and Anthony thing. I agree. Yeah, he's he's he said that he won't change a winning team, and yet he did that straight away. Um, I think you have to factor in there was injuries there. Alanga didn't play too well in the game against Leicester just before that either. Um, so his options were a bit more limited there. Where he thinks McTominay and quite a lot of people have been quite uh, giving a lot of praise to McTominay for his performances recently. So maybe that's more of a question of individual form. But also, I think, um, yeah, I think your question hits, touches on a point which yeah, Casemiro is not Ten Hag's ideal holding midfielder. And, you know, if anyone wants to dispute that, we only have to look at the fact that they were chasing Frankie de Jong all summer for evidence that that is the case. You know, he, he, he was signed because of the frustration over the de Jong deal that they couldn't get there. Not that he wasn't, not that, he isn't a, a world-class holding midfield, like you say, the best in Europe over the last few years. But he was not the number one priority there. And I think that is also informing Ten Hag's decisions recently of late as well. Um, that's why I say when it feels like it's the obvious choice for him now to come into the team, but we'll see how it shakes out because you just we don't really know what Ten Hag's kind of vision or how he sees this team developing yet. I think... Um, like I say, he's wanted to keep that winning team together because, let's face it, what you saw at Brentford was such a, such an absence of any kind of attitude or any kind of work ethic or any kind of team spirit that to try and maintain that, he probably saw a benefit to that. Um, but yeah, look, Casemiro needs to come into the side sooner or later. Otherwise, why have you spent 
60, rising to 70 million pounds on him for a player of his caliber. Um, he's the type of player that United have needed for for years now when they've been playing the likes of McTominay in there. And um, it should only really be a matter of time before he comes into the side. And you'd hope that's the next step in whatever process that um, Ten Hag is now following to, to develop this team. John, uh, word on Liverpool, who were so defensively poor. So they conceded six big chances against Brighton. So according to Opta, basically every Brighton chance was a big chance. And it's not really hard to see why, but why is it that they're, uh, as in why they were considered big chances? I mean, this was incredibly open by Liverpool. Uh, Klopp talks every week now about how confidence is a flower and the flower has been trampled and all these sorts of things, which I kind of find... It's not much use, really, is it? You're you're relying on a flower. (laughs) Relying on a flower which could get trampled at any moment. I mean, there, there wasn't much talk of this over the last few years. What's going on there, John? Yeah, from heavy metal to flowers. Uh, oh dear. Uh, yeah, um, we could have had another. As you say, you could have had another six-three uh, on on the weekend's um, football, and it would have been deserved. Brighton were the better team, the more threatening team. Um, I think it's fair to say the secret is out that Liverpool are no longer very good at defending, um, or very good at protecting the defence. Or um, Virgil Van Dijk. Um, was it was it that we just that the players thought that Van Dijk was so good, so there wasn't actually any point going near them because they get the ball taken off them? But now I've gained the confidence, thinking if the ball goes into Van Dijk's area, we've got a chance. Is it something like that? Because he really has dropped off a cliff. Mm. As much as Trent Alexander Arnold has taken the brunt of the criticism for Liverpool's defending, um, but actually, who should bear the criticism for Liverpool's defending? You do have to go to the manager, don't you, really? And and, and question what's gone wrong there. Um, Jürgen uh, himself looks worried. He looks... that that um, The suntan with which he... Uh, which I saw them at Fulham first first day of the season, uh, that's faded a little bit. Uh, the, the, you know, the, the, You're saying he needs to get in the sunbed? I'm, say, I'm saying that uh, Jürgen's sort of... S- Summary, uh, I suppose, sense of optimism already seems to have extinguished. He looks a little grey around the gills. He looks worried by what's going on, and rightly so. You've discussed it on this programme, I know, the undercurrent over the Darwin Nunes and stuff like that. Undercurrent? Yes. I mean, uh, it's, it's a. <laughs> I would say, is there a no? Is there such thing as an overcurrent? I mean, yeah, but you think you think it's you, okay? Do you think the over the, the newness thing is in, uh, okay? Well, I mean, it's because... it, you know, it's 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 pretty clear that you know he he doesn't sort of think Nunez is. He doesn't want to put him in the team. But is that the main problem? Obviously, not at the weekend. Well, I I, no, I, I think no. it's it's definitely a problem. Like if say take the example of what's happening at City at the moment, where Haaland is just like this. You know, just destroying every everyone and everything, and it's like this guy. You know, imagine the confidence that gives everybody else. It's sort of, you know, in a game you can sort of play not even that well. Like say at Wolves, they beat Wolves three nil. Um, just you know, a, a couple of ages ago, it seems like they didn't actually play that well in that game. But like Haaland just scores this goal. Remember the goal he scored in that like a right foot. Like maybe he scored. He probably scored again. I can't remember. But he scored that right footer from outside the area. You're just like, well, this is just. You know, whereas at Liverpool, not only has has their main man Salah just stopped scoring. You know, he's he he kind of he looks like um, one of these players who's like, oh, he looks like what was the name of that guy who scored fifty nine goals, John? 
George Camsell. George yeah. Camsell. He, he, no George. one remembers. He looks like, oh no, I'm going to be George Camsell now. <laughs> you know, like he's he's being eaten up, eaten up by the. You know, my record is is going to be gone by Christmas. You know, I won't even be at the World Cup. Um, you know, he, so and then the guy who they brought in to be. Well, I mean, he at the time was sort of, sort of like their parallel signing. Oh, they both gone for number nine. So it's just been a complete disaster. You know, I mean, obviously the re- the red card happened, but every time he's played, he's looked absolutely awful. Mark, do you want to come in on any of this? Uh, well, I, I watched the Ajax game uh, in the Champions League a few weeks ago, and Nunes's kind of his level of composure and, and, and what he does, he seems he feels like every touch that he takes is a shot. And it's almost like with <laughs> you could say that of Haaland as well, but these aren't the right shots, you know. <laughs> Whereas Haaland's doing it in, in situations where you're like, oh my god, that's a goal, obviously. It feels like Nunes is just desperate to impress and um really isn't <laughs> just really isn't at the moment. Do you um, do you uh, by what you're saying there, do you do you feel as though he can't really be this bad? Or it's just wow, this is a they really have signed a turkey to end all turkeys. No, I, look, like it's, it's still really early, I think, and he obviously played really well for Benfica last season. But if you go on his kind of historical performance and stuff like that, it, last season was a bit of a flash in the pan and um, really came out of nowhere. So the bet that Liverpool have made is on that being repeated, um, whereas the bet that City have made is is on arguably the best generational talent, talent certainly a centre forward that we've seen well yeah that we've seen in a generation so Liverpool's kind of resources mean that they do have to take those kind of bets and they do have to make that play but um, but I'm I'm not exactly optimistic about it at the minute I just like that. Poor old Darwin <laughs> Nunes plays one minute plus injury time of the weekend. Yeah, well, why does he play? Why does he play one minute? Yeah. You know, was he only available for one minute? He's available yeah, for ninety, yeah, yeah. but they decided to use him for one. So, what does that tell you, John? Just before you go, I'll be kicking myself if I don't. The paradigm shift Irish sports person. It's Katie Taylor for crying out loud. She, of course she it is, yeah. didn't change. She basically invented her sport as a mainstream sport in Ireland. Yeah. Anyway, then got it into the Olympics, won an Olympic gold medal. Is doing similar stuff in the professional games. I, I would just, I'd be kicking myself if I let that one slide without mentioning Katie. So listen, great stuff, John. Thanks so much. Mark, brilliant. Thanks a million. Cheers. The flame hair, flame hair, flame throw of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Alan. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. On sight. That's where it goes from. On sight. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do I give a fuck? Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. That audio bed is especially for Tony Adcock, the flame haired flamethrower of goals for Huddersfield, mm-hmm. as mentioned by John Brewer. Just on for the Man City, for Man City, of course. Uh, Adcock. Adcock, he scored a hat trick for Man City. Oh, against Huddersfield, I should say. Against Huddersfield. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just on the Erling versus Alf Inga goal chase after scoring a couple of goals on his debut in early August, I boldly oh, yeah. predicted Erling Haaland could catch his outlads total of 18 goals. Before the September international break. Ah, okay. Because I, I was wondering. Nah, yeah, yeah. The postponement of a round of fixtures put paid to that. But after moving up to 14 and eight matches, would you bet against him scoring four next week against Southampton? It would be more bad news against for Gavin Bazunu. Oh. 
Bazuna's had a tough time recently. We got an email in actually. So he conceded two goals in two minutes against Everton. For those uh, maybe listeners who weren't watching the Irish national team, he conceded a couple of goals against Armenia, at least one of which he should not have conceded. Murph is pinning the blame for both goals. On, I stand on, by my contention. On his gloves. But uh, in this case, he Dwight McNeil scored one at the near post. Uh, you know, it's like one of those, he lashed it in really hard from really yeah. close range. But I, 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 I wouldn't, but I actually think the, uh, the first goal, the Connor Cody goal, there's a big high ball looped in for one of the Everton players to head down. Should you come for it? I think you have to come for it. It's around, six, around the six yard box. It's as Roy Keane might say, where's my goalkeeper mm. there? You know, well, he hates goalkeepers. But now. the email from Mark Staines here anyway is talking about the fanfare around Gavin Bazunu. And now before I get hammered for this, Bazunu is a good goalkeeper. He's young. He's playing in the Premier League and so on. However, we have, have to call it as we see it. I don't think that's happening right now, except for Murph, maybe. In my mind, I'm left ever so slightly less impressed by the appearance of Bazunu the more games tick by. One big issue I have is how small he seems to be for a top-level goalkeeper at a paltry six feet two inches. <laughs> to us mere mortals, he's a huge man. However, this lack of height must have an impact on what seems like a real inability to save shots from distance as a Liverpool fan. Blah blah. He basically says Keller is not amazing either. In short, I believe Bazunu is going to continue to struggle with long shots and crosses, and I think second captains shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. All my love, says Mark and Killer. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for the support. I know it's it's lonely up here sometimes, but but, you know, listen, that's my job. I don't that's what I signed he, up for. I don't know if he is six foot two. Six foot two seems adequate for a Premier yeah, League. I six foot two is, um, is an average height for a goalkeeper. But then he didn't come, yeah, like I'm saying, he didn't Lloris. come and attack the cross. Attack that yeah, he's tall, ball, he's yes. taller than Larice by one centimetre. He is taller than Aderson by one centimetre. He's taller than Pickford, who obviously mm. has, has come up in this uh this So you're saying, the height, is, by you're four. saying the height is not an issue. But, is but we may still have a Bazunu problem or not. Just um, some of the early Bazunu glasses maybe mm. being wiped off slowly. I, w- I wouldn't be as quick as you to criticise him for the Onana header that leads to Cody's Oh, we're goal. going the other way around. From yeah, just because I feel like it's the far side of the six-yard box. I mean, it, 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 Onana is not heading it from like between the two goalposts. You know, Owen, I, 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 yeah. I, I agree. I, I agree with, with Murphy. I don't think it was... I think it was on. It was just on the outside of where he, he should come from. I mean, I was wondering the same thing about De Gea on the Haaland goal. Like De Gea does have a habit of watching cross come into the box and oh, staring well, at it. The, well, the love not, affair between David De, Gea, David De Gea and his goal line is <laughs> yes. the great love affair of I, English I, football. I can't last quit you. But but he, maybe he should go. But then I, I watched it again. I was like, well, the, the the way the ball comes in, from where Haaland heads it, it looks like maybe De Gea should, should yeah. be gone for that. But the way the ball has come in from high and sort of curling in it's like if he comes to that he's going to miss that yeah the Bazunu one isn't a comfortable catch or anything but it's one you could you're the goalkeeper get up there try and punch it away if you get if you get touched it's going to be a foul for you anyway Mm. so Mm. it's another one of those ones there's a lot of these Bazunu ones where it's it's not by no means you wouldn't even call it a mistake it's just maybe he could have done the accumulation of all of these goals that one of the three of us think he might be at fault at is nevertheless quite a concern. So yeah. listen, we are. Mark, I'll tell you who he's. S- I'll tell you who he's the same height as. I don't. Who? Ken Early. He's, he's the same height as. No, he's. I'm, ta- I'm taller than him. He's the same height as Casper Schmeichel. Yeah. He's the same height as Rui Patricio. Patricio. The height's okay then. We're, we're happy enough with uh, the height. Well, he's, he's not much we can do about it at this he's average. stage. He's taller. He's taller than. Um, he's the same height as Kepa, the great Kepa of, che- of Chelsea. Uh, taller than Willy Caballero, uh, Aderson. Uh, Dean Henderson, of course. Quiven, taller than Quiven Gallagher. He's taller than Quiven Gallagher. Taller than Hugo Lloris, the world champion goalkeeper. 
Uh, he's taller than. Yeah, I think. Uh, I think yeah, okay. He's okay. taller than Jordan Pickford. As he's, as he's actually one of the tallest okay. goalkeepers. He's, in the ta- he's taller than Aaron Ramsdale. He's taller than Darren Randolph. He's taller than. Okay, okay. He's taller like, than you've, Matt Ryan. You've killed the email Mark, like twice Mark over there. But he's not as tall as some other other players. Okay, but we don't. He's not as tall as, Prince, as Robert Sanchez. Can just continue to read as tall as Nick Pope. No problem. Nick Pope. Thank you, Owen. Nick Pope is. Oh Christ! He's talking about Nick Pope. Thanks, Ken. Nick. Pope is nearly two meters tall. Thanks, Kent. Uh, each thigh to Nick Pope is the thickness of a horse's belly, narrowing to a green vein calf to the thickness of a foal. Three fifties of fosterings could engage with handball against the wideness of his backside, which was wide enough to halt the march of warriors through a mountain pass. Thanks, Kent. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for listening. Big week coming up in the World Service with Champions League, 90s hip-hop. Yes, you heard that right. And loads more. To hear all of that, you're going to sign up on secondcaptains.com. You'll also hear every episode ad-free if you become a member. And remember, the Second Captains podcast is part. da 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 The ACAST Creator Network. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports are important. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast Another Bites. Each week, another bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, another bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for another bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. (laughs) Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.